1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
0: Good morning. Welcome in. It is the lead off on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. We got Grant Nicholson on the other side of the glass helping us out this morning. Very happy to be with you guys. The protein I'll see with the purpose X line 69306 to get involved in the show today. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. So... I fully planned on talking Patrick Mahomes in this opening segment was my every expectation was to come in here today and tell you about how awesome Patrick Mahomes is. Something changed this morning with my plan. Here's Center.
2: The Jayhawks held their annual Late Night in the Fog festivities, and they went all out in a number of ways. Most notably, a special performance by Snoop Dogg, which featured multiple women dancing on poles. And at one point, Snoop Dogg dispensed what appeared to be dollar bills toward one of the women before then shooting them over the heads of people sitting courtside.
0: So if you didn't hear about it, Late Night at the Fog got wild last night. Snoop Dogg was out here shooting dollar bills at people. We had what appeared to be strippers on the court. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Now, we're talking about a program right now that is engulfed in controversy. They just got their notice of allegations from the NCAA. There's an FBI investigation taking place over there that may or may not have anything to do with KU. Like, This got wild in the middle of a situation that has Kansas amid controversy, but none of that was the best part of what happened last night. None of it. Not Snoop Dogg performing at late night at the fog. Not the fact that he had adult entertainers on the, on the floor. Not the fact that he was shooting dollar bills at people. Nope. None of that was the best part. None of it. The best part about what happened last night at KU was Jeff Long's apology The athletic director for Kansas issued an apology immediately following the performance at KU by Snoop Dogg. Again, they hired Snoop Dogg to do a performance after late night at the fog. What exactly did you expect? I'm not sure, but apparently, according to Jeff Long, not what happened. Listen to this apology. From Kansas's athletic director after last night's Late Night at the Fog.
2: Kansas' athletic director Jeff Long issued an apology, quote, We apologize to anyone that was offended by the Snoop Dogg performance at Late Night. We made it clear to the entertainer's managers that we expected a clean version of the show and took additional steps to communicate to our fans, including moving the artist to the final act of the evening. Okay, hold on. You said you
0: were going to get a clean version of the show, so they they originally must have said, okay, here's our, our plan for the show. Jeff Long, we're going to come to you. Um, I'm the handler for Snoop Dogg. Here is our idea as to what we want the show to look like. And Jeff Long was like, no, 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 no. That is explicit. We can't have that. We need it to be the clean version of the show. And so
2: Snoop Dogg people came back and were like, okay, how can we make this quote-unquote – clean Well, let's continue to ensure that no basketball activities would be missed if anyone did not want to stay for his show i take full responsibility for not understanding what acrobatic dancers are in today's entertainment world hold on (laughs) i got some questions
0: i didn't understand what acrobatic dancers meant in today's entertainment world so let's go through this really quickly. What are the options? Like, <laughs> let's let's try to brainstorm quickly. Six nine three zero six is the protein I eat with a purpose text line. What do you think went through Jeff Long's mind when he first saw in some sort of proposal? Because I'm sure there was some sort of report that Snoop Dogg's people had to send in to say this is what's going to take place during our ha- or during our performance at late night at the fog. What When he got to the line that said the people that will be involved in the performance include acrobatic dancers, what did he think that meant? Did he think he was hiring Cirque des Soleil?
2: Like, is that what he thought was going to happen? All right, let's finish this out. And offer my personal apology to anyone who was offended. We strive to create a family atmosphere in Kansas and fell short of that this evening. Listen, all of it's amazing. All of it is
0: is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Like, the Kansas athletic director last night really released a statement, an apology for hiring what appeared to be strippers on a stripper pole at late night at the fog in the middle of his basketball program, the cash cow of his university being engulfed in scandal Because there was an FBI investigation that led to a wiretap that ultimately found that Bill Self may or may not allegedly have been texting a booster slash Adidas representative who may or may not allegedly have helped KU land basketball recruits. In the middle of all of that, in the middle of the notice of allegations, KU decided, you know what we should do? We should hire Snoop Dogg to perform at late night at the fog and he's going to come here. And in his proposal, it says specifically clearly based on the facts that Jeff long mentioned it in his statement, he's going to have acrobatic dancers and Jeff long thought he was hiring Cirque de Soleil. (laughs) I just can't. It's all amazing. Every bit of it is absolutely uh, Incredible. And it kept one-upping last night. Like, at first, you saw the reports that there was just, there was something that happened at late night. And you're like, okay, what could have possibly happened? Like, did Snoop Dogg say something controversial? It's like, well, yeah, of course, he probably did that. That makes sense. That's not surprising because it's Snoop Dogg. From there, you start seeing the videos released of, oh, there are female entertainers on polls dancing at late night at the fog yeah i can see how that'd be a bit problematic we got this text from the 913 the protein i'll see with the purpose text slide to 69306 snoop put on a good show blue hair old ladies were offended self and long not looking good right now listen i'm not offended by anything that happened last night nothing nothing about this offends me whatsoever that being said it's frowned upon <laughs> like You probably shouldn't be hiring the guy that's going to bring the polls and the dancers to Late Night at the Fog. Like, in this current situation that you're in, KU might have been able to get away with this five years ago. Very much in play. Two years ago. Three years ago. Maybe could have gotten away with it. Now it's a bad look. Probably could have gotten away with it. Snoop Dogg shooting dollar bills on the basketball players while female entertainers, I will call them that, are dancing behind him Yeah, that can't happen while your program is being investigated by the NCAA it's incredible it's absolutely incredible like there is there is nothing about the story that makes me not smile I let's hear the report once again and the apology I promise we'll move on I'm going to talk about Patrick Mahomes and how fantastic he is we'll get to that here in just a moment. I got to hear this one more time, because, again, everything about this is perfect. It's absolutely perfect.
2: The Jayhawks held their annual late night in the fog festivities, and they went all out in a number of ways. Most notably, a special performance by Snoop Dogg, which featured multiple women dancing on poles. And at one point, Snoop Dogg dispensed what appeared to be dollar bills toward one of the women before then shooting them over the heads of people sitting courtside. Imagine getting that copy as a sports center anchor. Imagine.
0: Imagine waking up this morning and your job is to read the news on Sports Center and you're like, "Excuse me, there must be a typo here. There has to be a typo. You're telling me that Snoop Dogg performed at a college basketball event last night, had strippers behind him and was throwing money at the crowd and the players and the strippers. That happened last night? That's insanity. I got to hear Jeff Long's apology one last time.
2: Kansas athletic director Jeff Long issued an apology, quote, We apologize to anyone that was offended by the Snoop Dogg performance at late night. We made it clear to the entertainers managers that we expected a clean version of the show and took additional steps to communicate to our fans, including moving the artist to the final act of the evening to ensure that no basketball activities would be missed if anyone did not want to stay for his show. I take full responsibility for not understanding what acrobatic dancers are in today's entertainment world and offer my personal apology to anyone who was offended. We strive (laughs) to create a family atmosphere in Kansas and fell short of that this evening.
0: I think you might have fallen a little short. You might have fallen a little short on that. I just everything about the statement is funny to me. From the 913, I have a hard time believing that Jeff Long had any conversations with Snoop Dogg's camp. Maybe he told them to keep it clean, but I don't see there being much conversation or planning from there. Listen, if you want to believe that, that's perfectly fine. If you think KU was like, hey, we're going to hire Snoop Dogg and then Snoop Dogg can do Snoop Dogg's things, by all means, I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. That is not what happened. That is not what happened. Absolutely 100% chance KU had conversations with Snoop Dogg about what his act was going to look like. And based on the statement that you just heard from Jeff Long, he knew that there were going to be acrobatic dancers. If you know there are going to be acrobatic dancers, there are only so many options as to what that could mean. There are only so many options. I would love to hear what the actual explanation is as to what... I just want somebody to ask Jeff Long. The next time he's available in a media setting, I need this to be asked. What did you think acrobatic dancers meant? When Snoop Dogg sent you the proposal and he says, we will have acrobatic performers in my live performance, I want to know what Jeff Long thought it meant. I want to know because I legitimately can't think of anything. I can't I I don't know what else that could have meant. At the very least, it requires a a follow-up question by Jeff Long. Or whoever it is in the athletic department that was dealing with this, it's probably not Jeff Long specifically. I agree with that part of the text. Jeff Long is probably not himself going back and forth with Snoop Dogg's handlers. I would imagine that's somebody within the department. I also want to make very clear I'm not offended by anything that happened. And I think all of it is just absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. KU, if you were there last night, you should have enjoyed the hell out of it. You should have enjoyed every second of what was happening. Because a lot of it was just a straight shot at the FBI in the NCAA. And to me, that is funny as hell, man. That is really funny. All right. We've got a lot of Chiefs to get into today. My plan was not to talk about KU for the first 15 minutes of the show. I promise you my plan was to come in to tell you about how Patrick Mahomes makes the impossible feel absolutely possible. And he's doing it right here in Kansas City. And he's making very smart people make statements that sound ridiculous actually seem reasonable. We'll get into it next. It is the lead off on 610 Sports Radio. The lead off with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the lead off on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. On the other side of the glass, we've got Grant Nicholson this morning helping us out. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, Craig Stout. He is the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. He's going to join us because I got to ask him what the hell he's seen from Frank Clark. I went back through every single one of Frank Clark's pass rush uh, snaps on last Sunday We'll get into what I found on that later on in the show, but I want to ask Craig Stout what he found from watching Frank Clark. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 10 minutes. But right now, I do want to talk about Patrick Mahomes because I believe Patrick Mahomes has officially arrived at a place where he makes the impossible seem reasonable. He has arrived at a place where the other day, Tony Dungy can come on the drive and be asked, will Patrick Mahomes have a better career than Peyton Manning? And his answer is a resounding yes. Listen to this. I want to react on the other side because I think it's something that is like, it's an amazing statement and also sounds totally reasonable at the same time. I'll I'll explain that coming up on the other side. But listen to this answer from Tony Dungy. We're a year and change into seeing Patrick Mahomes as an NFL quarterback. What are the chances that by the time his career is over, he had an even better career than Peyton Manning?
1: Oh, I think he will if he stays healthy. Uh, they've got a lot of weaponry there. He's got a great system and a great coach. He's got some young talented receivers with him. you know that's what happened for, for Peyton. He came in with Marvin Harrison was in his third year. then the next year they get Edger and James and uh, Reggie Wayne is uh, you know comes a year later and then Dallas Clark. Well a lot of these pieces are in place for Patrick Mahomes and they're young guys the same way. So I would see him and, and the way the league's changed and it is a passing game now, so I could see Patrick putting up numbers that nobody's going to be able to approach if he stays healthy.
0: Tony Dungy was Peyton Manning's coach, and he just said he believes that Patrick Mahomes will have a better career than Peyton Manning. Now, let's think about this for a minute, because I do think this is a bigger statement than some are giving it credit for. Peyton Manning won two Super Bowls. He was a five-time NFL MVP. He was a 14-time Pro Bowler, a seven-time All-Pro first-team player. In my opinion, Peyton Manning is the second-best quarterback to ever play the position. And his coach, after 20 games of watching Patrick Mahomes, just said he believes Patrick Mahomes will be better. That is insane. Let's not lose sight of just how crazy that is. Because I was listening to Ron and, uh, R- Ron and Vern earlier this week, show and Vern, which you can hear weekdays from 10 to 2 right here on 610 Sports Radio, and they were saying that this is not something that is, like, surprising to them. Like, of course somebody would say that Patrick Mahomes will be better than Peyton Manning. No, no, hold on, time out. Let's, let's rewind a little bit. No, it is it is it. On one hand, I tend to agree with Tony Dungy. I think Mahomes is going to be better than Peyton Manning. But also, let's take time to consider what that means. If Patrick Mahomes is going to be better than Peyton Manning, we are saying today, through 20 games of his career, that Patrick Mahomes is probably going to go down as the second-best quarterback in the history of football. Okay, on one hand, I, I think that might be true. On the other hand, that's an amazing statement to make. And for somebody with the gravitas of Tony Dungy to say that who coached Peyton Manning and has every interest of saying, yeah, Peyton Manning's going to have a better career. Like I understand the, the answer that I expected in that spot from Tony Dungy, specifically from him, because I think there are a lot of people that would probably agree with Tony Dungy and Carrington did his hypothetical button game the other day where he asked, would you hit the button for Peyton Manning's career for Patrick Mahomes or would you press your luck and he couldn't have whatever career comes from here? of the audience hit the button. 50% of the audience said, no, I'm going to go ahead and press my luck with with Patrick Mahomes. I understand both sides of that. But what I would have expected Tony Dungy to say in this situation is, listen, I think Peyton Peyton Manning is the second best quarterback in the history of football. I coached Peyton. I saw how much of an impact Peyton had on every aspect of the game. I think Mahomes is going to be excellent. I think Mahomes is going to have an unbelievable career, and he has. there is no ceiling to what Mahomes can be, but Peyton Manning did it. Let's see Patrick Mahomes do it first, and then we can have the discussion about where he ranks among the best. That's what I expected Tony Dungy to say, and it would have been a totally reasonable thing for Peyton Manning's old coach to have said on the air in Kansas City. I would have completely understood that point of view. That's not what he said. He said, again, 20 games into Patrick Mahomes' career that Mahomes will be better than Peyton Manning. That's a huge statement, and it's a bigger statement given who made it. Given the person that made the statement, I put more stock into what he said. I just do. And so... I both think it's an incredible statement. It's an impossible thing to believe, and also it seems totally reasonable. That's where Mahomes has taken us. All summer long, I told you guys, like, I'm a numbers guy, and by the numbers, everything would have told you Patrick Mahomes is going to regress this year. The Touchdowns are going to come down. The yards, there's no way they stay the same. He's just not going to be able to have the same statistical season that he did a year ago. And I said all summer long, I have that belief, but also at the same time, Patrick Mahomes is the outlier. Because nobody's supposed to have the first year that Patrick Mahomes had, and he did. And now we are seeing Mahomes is the outlier. Mahomes is putting up numbers unlike anything we've ever seen in the history of football through 20 games. And so for that reason, that's why I believe what Tony Dungy is saying. Because we legitimately have never seen this before. I believe on Sunday, Patrick Mahomes is going to be amazing. I think he's going to be awesome against a Indianapolis Colts defense that's without both starters on the in the secondary and without their best linebacker on Sunday. He's going to be awesome against that team. Travis Kelsey is going to eat in the middle of the field. It's going to be a lot of points that are put up on the board for the Kansas City Chiefs. And so I say all of that to say this. Tony Dungy legitimately came on the air in Kansas City this week and said Patrick Mahomes is going to go down as the second-best quarterback in the history of football, and it didn't make any sort of news. Like, think about that. Think about what he said, who he is, the gravitas that he has as a football person, the fact that Tony Dungy's, like, super measured. That's not the guy that you expect to be out here giving hot takes. Like, Tony Dungy goes on NBC, and I've never heard him say anything, like, particularly inflammatory. He's on NBC every Sunday before, the, before, during, and after the games. He's going to be the guy that, in the pregame show, is talking about your football team this week. That guy... Came on the air in Kansas City and said, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, second best quarterback ever. 20 games, that's enough. I've seen enough already. He's going to be better than Peyton Manning. And it didn't make any headway. That's an amazing thing. And it shows you where Patrick Mahomes already is, both in Kansas City and nationally, that that didn't make any headlines. Everybody just saw it and kind of moved on and was like, yeah, eh, that makes sense. Yeah, Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning's old coach, said that Patrick Mahomes is going to be better than Peyton Manning. Yeah, seems reasonable. That's a crazy thing. It's an amazing thing. I don't want to lose sight of just how crazy and amazing it is because we're only 20 games into this. We can't become numb to these things yet. We can't become. If we are numb to this already, it's going to be 15 years of not truly appreciating what we're watching. And I don't want to be there. I've watched a lot of bad quarterback play in my life here in Kansas City. I've gone through the Brody Croyles and the Tyler Thigpins, the Damon Hewards. I've seen all of it. I don't want to have to go through that again. I want to be in the moment for each and everything that takes place over the next however many years Patrick Mahomes is here. And the fact that a a former coach of Peyton Manning came on and said that Mahomes is going to be better than him 20 games into his career. I'm going to appreciate the hell out of that because that's an amazing statement to be able to be made. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, I do believe there's one apt comparison between the 2014 and 2015 Royals and the current Kansas City Chiefs. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But coming up next, let's go over, over to the defensive side of the ball. Frank Clark has been the focus of each and every radio segment seemingly all week. Craig Stout watches him closer than just about anybody in America. He's the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. What has he seen from Frank Clark? We'll ask him next on The leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Download the radio.com app. To listen to 610 Sports Radio wherever you are. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. A little bit of news to pass along from KU Football. They are officially in a weather delay. No new time yet been set for that game, but KU versus OU officially in a weather delay for now. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes, there is one apt comparison between the 2014 and 15 run for the Royals and where the Chiefs are right now. We'll get into that coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But right now, I want to welcome on Craig Stout. He is the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. He watches as much film of this Chiefs defense as anybody. He's had a tough job over the last few years. Hopefully, it gets a little bit better this year. His name is Craig Stout, and we are happy to be joined by him here on the leadoff. Craig, how are you doing this morning, man?
1: Man, I'm doing great, Brandon. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. We are happy to have you so As I'm assuming you probably would have believed prior to coming on, we are going to talk about Frank Clark a little bit here today because he has been the topic of discussion here in Kansas City. Craig, how would you assess Frank Clark's play so far through four weeks of the NFL season?
1: frankly not good enough, and I know that I've been labeled a little bit of a Frank Clark defender by some because I I do look a little bit more into what offenses are doing to try and slow him down, but Frank Clark is not quite winning enough when he does get one-on-one reps. He's very good in the run game, but his pass rush leaves a lot to be desired right now. He did almost have another fourth-quarter sack against Matt Stafford this week. I think if he would have come up with that, that probably leads to a Kansas City Chiefs stop and doesn't allow the Lions to score that last touchdown, which then forces the two-minute drill at the end by Patrick Mahomes. If that happens, we might be seeing a little bit different tune about Frank Clark, but he still needs to win a little bit more when he is getting those one-on-one opportunities.
0: So I saw a stat the other day from Sports Info Solutions that among the players that have a hundred or more pass rush snaps, Frank Clark is last in pressure rate at 2% for the season. Does that go along in terms of like the number to the eye test? Does that kind of go along with what you've seen from your eye test?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. He's definitely not getting the same amount of pressure as some of the other guys. You know, I know that Emmanuel Agba is a uh, a good comparison right now because he plays a similar position. He's not Chris Jones that we knew was a stud pass rusher. Agba has been significantly better rushing the passer from a productivity standpoint, but Emmanuel Agba is also benefiting from the fact that they're doubling and shifting Frank Clark on the other side. You know, I talked a little bit yesterday about how. If you are putting so much focus on Frank Clark on that side of the ball, you've got to have somebody win on the opposite side. Emmanuel Agba is getting those opportunities. He's making the most of them so far. So there is a little bit of impact that's coming from that extra attention that Frank Clark is getting. But, yeah, when Clark gets those one-on-ones, he's just not having that kind of impact right now.
0: We're talking with Craig Stout. He is the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. He's joining us on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. All right, let's go back to Frank Clark for a moment because I want to ask another follow-up on this. What do you think needs to be done to free him up a little bit? Like, is this something where Spags needs to scheme up for him? Is this something where it's on him to just be able to win the one-on-ones? I looked up some of the numbers the other day. As much as we talk about the double teams and the chips and the stunts and all these different things that are happening, he is getting one-on-one opportunities. He just, in my opinion, isn't winning them enough. But what do you think needs to be done to free him up a little bit?
1: I do think that they need to move him around a little more than they are, especially late games. You're seeing that's kind of when Clark's starting to have a little bit more of an impact. So I know it starts to move him over to the opposite side of the field. He's not just rushing from the same side of the field over and over and over again makes it a little harder for offenses to have to shift protections and move stuff around. They need to move Frank Clark a little bit inside. Steve Spagnuolo went and got these defensive ends that can all play three-pack. Alex Okafor, Emmanuel Ogba, Tano Pasignal can all play inside. Move Frank Clark inside because it's one of those situations where even if you are having to game-plan around a guy and you're specifically targeting him, like let's say a Tyree Kill for the Chiefs offense, it still confuses defense, makes, makes it a little bit difficult if you have Tyree Hill lining up in the slot or motioning into the backfield. It just, it's just an extra adjustment that you have to do. Try and get Frank Clark a little bit more advantageous looks inside there, and then, you know, yeah, you definitely need him to just be better when he does get those good looks.
0: Speaking of spags, I'm curious, Craig, because you watch as much of this defense and rewatch them and watch it again as anybody in America What have you thought of Spaggs' scheme, his defense so far? Is is it what you expected whenever he was hired here in Kansas City?
1: I honestly thought the run defense was going to be a lot better than it was based on the wide bodies that he got up front. But outside of the run defense, I've been very, very pleased with what he's done. He's come out at the beginning of each half, first and third quarters, and I posted a stat that said 51% of the yard given up by the Chiefs on the ground, happen in those first drives of each half, so first quarter and third quarter there. After that, Steve Spagnuolo makes tweaks, makes adjustments. It's almost like he's coming out on purpose trying to be a little bit vanilla, catching the offensive scripted plays, catching their best shot, and adjusting his game plan to what they've done. The second quarter has been phenomenal for Steve Spagnuolo. He really locked things down. He's only allowed one red zone drive the entire year in the second quarter, and it was a field goal that was happened in week one off of a 69 yard pass over Charvarius Ward. So he's been phenomenal in that. That's part of the reason why the Chiefs have been able to put up so many points in the second quarter. Spagnuolo's stymieing the offense, making those adjustments, forcing offensive coordinators to go in at halftime, make further adjustments, and I would say that he's made good adjustments in the fourth quarter. But these guys are tired, and the executions are poor there in the fourth quarter that it looks a lot worse than what Spagnuolo is actually putting out there on the field.
0: A couple minutes left here with Craig Stout of Arrowhead Pride joining us on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. All right, Craig, you mentioned the run defense. I got to ask you about it because it's been very poor through the first four weeks of the season. 5.9 yards per carry. It's the stat everybody knows at this point. I want to ask you because I think there has been some disagreement among chiefs fans among Chiefs Twitter or whatever you want to classify it as as to how big of a deal this is I don't think it is something where at this point in the season I find it to be alarming necessarily but I do think it's a big deal I think that in the playoffs and everything is geared towards the playoffs for this team and specifically geared towards the Patriots if this continues I think it's going to be something that the Patriots expose and use to their advantage in the postseason but from your perspective, how big of a deal is it right now that the Chiefs don't have this run defense figured
1: out yet? Um, honestly, it, it's not a big deal at all. I, I agree with you. It could be a big deal. It, it's definitely something that's eyebrow-raising. You definitely need to keep tabs on it because, yeah, 5.9 yards per carry is ludicrous. That's And it's probably not going to get any better if Marlon Mack plays this week. It's probably going to get worse. So... This is not a situation where you just kind of brush it under the rug, you know, that everything's okay. But in today's NFL, with the NFL passing as much as they are, you know, the Patriots ran the ball 48 times in the AFC championship game and threw the ball 46. They only averaged 3.7 yards per carry on the ground in that AFC championship game, and they averaged 7.9 through the air. The damage was done through the air, and the damage is typically done through the air, especially if you've got Patrick Mahomes on the other side and he's able to put up points. He's able to try and force teams to abandon a clock-killing game plan because you have to throw to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. That's kind of what we've seen throughout all of last year and so far this year is that only when it's close do teams get to keep doing that. Now, obviously the Patriots can play the Chiefs close. That could be worrisome when that happens. But I would much rather have a strong pass defense than a strong run defense. If I have to give up some of the run defense and the pass defense better, I'm doing it 10 times out of 10.
0: Last question for you, Craig. The Chiefs have a defensive tackle right now that's in a contract year. His name is Chris Jones. He's been tremendous so far. You've watched a lot of him, not just this year, but in the past as well. How would you assess where Chris Jones is right now and his level of play compared to where it has been in the past?
1: Chris Jones is much more gap sounds than he has been in previous years, but I think we expected that with kind of the aggressiveness and the hard-nosed nature of Brendan Daly and Steve Spagnuolo up front. He's definitely still abandoning his gap in the run game on occasion. You see him make some of those plays where he knifes into the backfield. There are just as many plays where he gets a little too high and loses leverage, gets blown out of the gap. But he's not abandoning his gaps the same way that he did last year. You know, that was one of the main talking points this offseason was maybe he plays a little bit out of scheme. That has been improved so far this year. So that's making him a better player. That's making it an overall better defense. I think once everybody gels together a little bit more, you will start to see that impact really coming together. I've liked what I've seen out of Chris Jones a lot this year. So, I, I'm just I'm ready to see how he continues if he can put together a sack streak again this year because he's been very good.
0: He's Craig Stout. You read his work, arrowheadpride.com is where you find it. He is the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. Craig, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, BK.
0: Absolutely. That's Craig Stout joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I want to get into one thing he had to say about the run defense. We'll do that on the other side. Plus, there's an apt comparison between 2014 and 2015 and the, the run that the Royals went on and where the Chiefs find themselves today. We'll get into that coming up. It is the lead off on 610 Sports Radio.
1: The lead off with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio.
0: <laughs> Listening on the radio.com app.
1: Make sure to favorite 610 Sports Radio.
0: Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Appreciate you guys tuning in this morning. We are taking you up until 12 o'clock. We've got K-State pregame coming up at 1230. If you missed any of my conversation with Craig Stout, he's the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. I would recommend checking it out. It'll be up on the podcast page, 610sports.com. So Craig said that the defense, specifically the run defense, is not a concern to him because it's not as important as the pass defense. And I agree with him. If you're going to look at the Chiefs as being four units, right? Or any NFL team, really. Pass offense, run offense, pass defense, run defense. Those are the four main units that any team has, the four main distinctions or categories. If you have to be terrible at any one of them, run defense would probably be the one that you would pick. The problem is you don't have to choose one that you have to be terrible in. The hope is you can be at least average in all of them, And you can be great at something. And if you're going to be great at any one thing, well, the thing that the Chiefs are great at, passing the football, is the best thing to be great at. So here's where I am with the Chiefs run defense right now. It's atrocious. It's a problem. It's going to continue being a problem unless they fix it. And I looked up what the Chiefs have done against the run over the last few years and ultimately what they did in the playoffs with those run defense, okay? So since Andy Reid got here, I went back to 2015. 2015, they were actually really good against the run. They were eighth in the NFL in terms of being good against the run in total yardage, 16th in yards per carry. And the playoffs, when they lost, they lost because the Patriots ran or passed the ball, not run run the ball. They only gave up 38 rushing yards in that game. Eighth against the run that year, only gave up 38 rushing yards in their loss in the postseason. Here's where things went south. 2016, the Chiefs were 26th against the run. They gave up 171 rushing yards against the Steelers whenever they lost in the postseason. 2017, they were 25th against the run, bottom 10 again. They gave up 195 rushing yards in that game against the Tennessee Titans and lost. 2018, last year, they were 27th in the NFL in rushing yards allowed per game, and they ended up giving up 176 rushing yards in the postseason to New England when they ultimately lost. This is why it needs to get turned around because today it doesn't much matter because the teams that the the Chiefs are playing for most of the regular season aren't going to be able to keep the game close enough, long enough to where they're going to be able to take full advantage of the Chiefs run defense. That's absolutely correct. What Craig Stout said about that, especially this weekend against the Colts, the Colts are going to get down by 10 at some point. And when they do, the Chiefs are going to force them into passing situations. And then the run defense doesn't matter as much. That's probably going to happen against Houston. It's probably going to happen against Denver. It'll be interesting against Green Bay to see how this goes. But then against Minnesota, same thing. Tennessee, same thing. Potentially against the Chargers, Oakland. Okay, then we get to New England. What do you think New England's going to do when it's plus or minus seven points? They're up by seven, down by seven, whatever it may be. And that's what most of the game's going to be against New England. They're going to run the hell out of the ball. Because they have 27 different running backs that are all capable, a good offensive line. And they're going to try to expose what we just said is clearly the Chiefs weakest unit, their run defense. I understand and Craig's absolutely correct. Last year, the Chiefs were worse against the pass against the Patriots than they were against the run. Allowed almost eight yards per attempt when they passed the ball and almost four yards per carry when they ran the ball. You'd rather see the Patriots run the ball than pass the ball whenever you're giving up those kinds of numbers. No question about it. Here's the problem. When they run the ball, the clock continues. And Patrick Mahomes is sitting on the sideline where you don't want him to be. And then the Patriots go from 1st and 10 to 2nd and 6 to 3rd and 2, and they get the 1st down. 1st and 10 to 2nd and 6 to 3rd and 2, and they get the 1st down. We saw that so many times last year. We saw it against the Titans. We saw it against the Steelers. We then saw it against the Patriots. We've seen this so many times over the last few years under Andy Reid. This is the third straight year the Chiefs have started 4-0. Before 2017, the Chiefs had started 4-0 a total of three times in franchise history. That's something to be celebrated. That's a really impressive stat. Andy Reid's a really good football coach who has captured lightning in a bottle with a young quarterback that is an absolute superstar. But this also is nothing new for him. It's the third straight year he started 4-0. The last two years, there was a clear and identifiable fatal flaw on the roster. It was the run defense. And last year, it got them beat in the playoffs by the Patriots. The year before that, it got them beat in the playoffs against the Titans. This is why I continue to focus on the run defense is because we've seen this in the past, even through 4-0 starts, be the fatal flaw that gets them beat in the postseason. We've seen it literally a year ago against the Patriots. As much as we talk about the Gronkowski catch, the fact that on third and seven, it was Edelman 27 times across the middle that caught the passes for the first downs. The first half, it was a running game. They kept Patrick Mahomes off of the field, and that was their best defense against the Chiefs, was their running game. And this is where I get into the apt comparison between the Royals in 2014 and 15 and where the Chiefs are today. The Royals in 2014 is the most fun I've ever had watching a sports team ever. I've never had the amount of fun that I had watching the Royals starting at the all-star break and continuing through that postseason run because none of it was expected. It was all a surprise. They were 50 and 50 at one point. They were not supposed to be where they ultimately ended up their trade deadline acquisition was Josh Willingham. Like, that's not the team that's going for it at that point. That team was fun because everything was unexpected and new. We'd never experienced anything like it in this town before. 2015, everything changed. 2015, it was expectations. It was you come into the season and everybody knew that the goal was the World Series. They went from adding Josh Willingham at the deadline to adding Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobrist at the deadline. That's a difference in mentality both on the team and from the fans. Everybody knew from day one the expectation is this team needs to win a World Series because it might be their last shot, and they did. But throughout the season, they were critiqued differently. 2014, people would come on the air here in Kansas City, and they'd say, this is awesome, this is crazy, isn't this so cool? Look at how great this is. Nobody was breaking down the little issues that the team had. That that rotation wasn't good enough to win a World Series. They absolutely needed another starter. People weren't crushing them for not adding one, though. Because, wow, look at how great this is. They're in the playoffs. They made it to the wild card game. This is amazing. It was new. It was exciting. It was different. It was something we had never experienced before. 2015, it changed. 2015, it became... This rotation's not good enough. They need a number one starter, and they have to go out and get one. That was critiqued from day one. And they went out and they got one in Johnny Cueto. It was, this offense is really good, but they really need another piece to finish this thing off. Ben Zobrist, add him to the mix. That was the missing piece. That was what 2015 was like. It was different. It was not as much fun, in my opinion. 2015 was amazing, don't get me wrong. I had more fun in 2014 when they lost the World Series than I did in 2015 when they won it. I really did. That run was more fun in 2014. 2015 was expected. 2014, I could have never seen coming. That's how I feel during this Chiefs situation. Last year was 2014. Everything was new. I've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes before. The expectations were not there for him. It was, let's see what this guy's got, and then we'll move forward. And then they got to the AFC Championship game. This year's different. This year from day one, whether you talk about the general manager, the owner, the head coach, the team, the fans, everybody believes that the expectation for the 2019 Chiefs is get to and win the Super Bowl. And so when you see what could be a potential fatal flaw on a team that has those kinds of expectations, that's why I'm so hard on them. It's not because I'm trying to be critical of the team. It's because the team has made it very clear what the expectations are this year. And there's a potential fatal flaw where they are the second-worst run defense through four games in the history of the NFL. That is factually accurate. And in the last three years, they've started 4-0, and they ended up giving up 195 rushing yards and losing to the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs. They ended up giving up 176 rushing yards and losing to the New England Patriots in the playoffs. We've seen this story before. The thing that needs to change this year, Andy's shown that he can start fast. Can he finish strong? And the thing that needs to improve to be able to do so is the run defense. There's no question about that based on where they are today and where they need to be at the end of the year. Coming up here in just about five minutes or so, this kind of quarterback does not come into Arrowhead and beat Andy Reid. It just doesn't happen. I'll explain coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio.